Down by Despair really concerns itself with the fate of two individuals. They have chosen radically different ways of leading their lives. One has gone to the extreme of denying the flesh. The other has gone to the extreme of only indulging the flesh. Every whim he caters for. He has effectively destroyed his father's fortune. He spent it. Um, and he is deeply troubled by that sense of responsibility. But that trouble is, he denies it very deeply um, and lives a life of crime. The other character, Paolo, um, he too is on a very self-destructive course without really knowing it because he is punishing himself to um, inordinate extremes. And the play, I think, is this um, marvelously tolerant warning against um, the cruelty of believing too much in your own character, believing too much in its um, absolute power. Christianity is not about morality. It's actually about this sort of complicated idea of being saved, that human beings are broken, that we're, that we're unable to sort ourselves out, and that, um, that, that it isn't just a question of you know, going through the ropes or just following a few moral rules or beating yourself up uh, that you can sort yourself out. Actually, there's something about us that requires something deeper than just a few moral rules. I mean, it's a little bit like Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, in Alcoholics Anonymous, one of the first things you have to do is say, I'm not able to sort myself out. I need some intervention from beyond. Now, what, um, what the monk, the religious person does, is he never, ever gets to that stage. He always thinks that it's about being good, you know, following the religious rules, following the teachings of the church and so forth. He never gets to the stage where he sees himself in all his human frailty. The one thing that, the, that this, this gangster knows, and he does know it, is that he is actually, you know, completely fallible, in all sorts of ways completely wrong, and dependent on other people, particularly dependent on his father, which is a very important relationship in the, in the play. And it's that sense of dependence that you get with the bad guy, and it's that sense of dependence that you don't get with the good guy. And that's actually the core always has been the core of Christian teaching. And it has actually got a lot less, Christianity has got a lot less to do with morality than people assume it does. I think it's a very unpredictable play. Um, you know, that's, there's the obvious unpredictability in um, the good guy goes to hell and the bad guy goes to heaven. But there's other things that are uh, profoundly unpredictable as well. Its subversion lies in the nature of the questions that it poses of um, those who are with or even those who are without faith. Do you need it in the first place? Do you want it? Why do you want it? Why do you need it? And I think it's a play that um, can talk to an audience who might regard the dominant issues of it as redundant to them. But it, I think, profoundly explores the whole idea of the loss of God um, and the lack of God and rage against God, real anger against him. And that gives it its um, roughness. That gives it its shock. It means that you never know really where you stand with it. And it also means that 
the dilemmas and the crises can be translated into very radical terms. I mean, can I just add to that? Because I don't, this is not a play that um, is there for religious people, simply for religious people. Not at all. Um, because for me, what it explores, uh, even for people who think that the underlying theology is something they just don't share and don't get, it explores the vulnerability of the human condition. And I think it's absolutely brilliant. You have one person who's the religious person who is denying his own vulnerability and another person who's the bad guy who's acknowledging, fully acknowledging his vulnerability. And it's that acknowledgement of vulnerability which for me is at the core of this play. And that's why it, it's, it's a play about the human condition and it's a play that will speak to people of faith and of no faith. It's, that's, that's, that's slightly neither here nor there, though I think it is uh, supremely uh, orthodox theologically. I don't agree with that at all. Um, <laughs> I think it is a darkly um, threatening piece to orthodoxy if you choose to read it that way. As I said, part of the cleverness of it is that um, you can easily get away with not doing that. But I think it's comprehension of um, violence, which is absolutely at the core of the play. Human violence, the nature and the root of human violence and the different types of human violence mean that um, it can offer next to no consolation and can offer next to no comfort. Now, I'm not saying that Orthodox religion is in the business of offering only comfort and consolation. It's largely in the business these days of doing that. But this is a play that really does take the ground from underneath you. And perhaps more frightening than finding there's a hell underneath you, it actually entertains the serious possibility there's nothing underneath you. But you see, I mean, you, where you and I would disagree, I think, is what constitutes orthodoxy. Mm. Because actually what you've just described mm. is something I think is there in, in orthodox Christianity. Uh, not the sort of orthodox Christianity you get these days, mm. which has become sentimentalised and mm. domesticated and, and you know, overly associated with a rather pious form of morality. Mm. But I think that the real thing, and I think historically the real thing, explores precisely that. Also explores the, the ground emptying up beneath you and there being nothing there. And that's a part of the experience. So the idea that orthodoxy is some sort of numbskull refusal to acknowledge, you know, the complexity of the world. No, 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 that's not it. Well, of course I agree with you. I, don't, I didn't say that that would be orthodoxy. But what I do say is that um, you're really, as usual, um, I, I grew up in an Irish Catholic environment. I wouldn't wish that on you or anybody else. But as usual, you're having your cake and eating it too. You're telling us, you know, that it's not orthodoxy to be what you say it is. But of course it is orthodoxy to be the opposite. And um, I, I remember going to Philip Larkin's uh, memorial service in uh, Westminster and um, the, the, the priest told us that Philip didn't believe in God, uh, but however he was with God and I thought to myself, my God, it's not just the Catholics who have all the answers. <laughs> um, the Anglicans can do a good impersonation of it as well. And I feel that that's, um, that is something that the play does not believe in. It does not believe in... Um, a system of belief, or system of faith, that answers everything. Absolutely and right. And it keeps confronting Absolutely and changing. Right. Absolutely it's, right. It's a deeply um, unsettling and troubled play, masquerading as a conventional meditation on the nature of goodness and the nature of evil. And of course what it does, uh, as I think we both agree on this, and utterly illuminates that there is no such thing 
as the nature of goodness or the nature of evil. There's only this war raging in the human psyche and the human soul between them. And that um, whatever peace you may acquire is an illusion. Something about our different approaches to this play may actually be something to do with where we came from, you know, mm. because, um, you know, I'm probably of the first generation of people for whom Christianity uh, is not the sort of default position in their culture. And so it's always a sort of an act of some sort of rebellion against the dominant culture. Mm. And so for me, what I see in this is something completely different from someone who's, you know, I wasn't brought up with all of this sort of stuff. Mm. I got to rebel against secularism. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's, that's mm. what I got to rebel against. And, and you know, what, what, I, what I see in this play that helps me rebel against secularism is the idea that life is simply a bigger and more complicated place than just being good. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. just that simple. So for me, I mean, it's the, the Christianity <coughs> stuff and the Freud stuff are very, mm. very closely linked mm. with this. Mm. That actually human beings are, are darker, more complicated, more broken than, than we often assume in our sort of rather breezy sort of secular, our secular culture. But I do think the, um, the major political confrontation over the next um, 20, 30 years is going to be um, dealing with the rise of fundamentalism, both in the East and in the West. Um, and I'm not simply talking about Muslim fundamentalism, I'm talking about Christian fundamentalism as well here. That is going to be the enormous um, philosophic, political challenge that uh, now another generation is going to have to answer in ways that we didn't have to answer. And I believe that this play a form, well, it gives a sustenance to those who will be on the side of light in that it consistently and constantly questions itself, questions the faith that it's talking about, consistently illuminates um, the, paradoxically illuminates the darkness that goes with um, extremism, um, the damage that it does to the individual psyche, the damage that it does to the collective psyche. And I feel that it gives a voice to that and it's absolutely necessary now to hear those voices preach insanity. I, I mean, I. On one level, I completely agree with you. Obviously, I couldn't but, agree, uh, but not agree with you. Um, but on another level, um, what I, what I f it's the people who think they're on the right side that I've always thought are the most dangerous, whether they're religious or not religious. It's the people who think they're virtuous that I've always thought are the most dangerous people who do things that are you know, in the name of some sort of virtue, whether it's a secular virtue or a religious virtue. They're the ones that I want to look out for. And what this play gets you to do is to look in the mirror and see yourself not just simply as the good person, but as actually much more morally ambivalent and from wherever one comes from, whatever one's ideological perspective. And I think recognising one's own moral ambivalence, having that sort of self-critical vigilance is essential, is essential for our, broadly speaking, moral formation. Because uh, if you simply see yourself as on the side of the right, um, then I think that, you know, there's a huge amount of trouble. You know, you're, you're, not, you're not interrogating yourself. And this play makes you interrogate yourself. Uh, and I think that that's what the bad person in this play is in a much better place to interrogate himself than the person who is, as it were, virtuous. It's, it's a wonderful adventure, the play. I think that's something to bear in mind. It's a fantastic adventure And I have to say, story. he's done a brilliant job. He has done a brilliant job <laughs> at actually rewriting this thing and giving it 
I mean, I'm not going to use the word relevance, but giving it the right sort of punch for today. Brilliant. And I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's, a, it's a great, joyous, sorrowful celebration of what it is to try to survive. And it'll uh, disturb yeah. people, won't oh, it? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, it's going to hurt people and... Confuse them yeah. a bit? Yeah. Piss them off? Yeah. But uh, the words of the great Brian Friel, confusion is not an ignoble condition. <laughs> <laughs>